Welcome to the Nopal Queens podcast. This is your chingona, La Sirena, a licensed clinician and higher education professional. Hola, and I'm La Estrella, and I'm a first-gen financial inclusion and brand marketing leader and badass queen. And here at Nopal Queens, we serve up real conversations about mental health and wellness from the Latinx perspective. Come on in, familia. Están en su casa. Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Nopal Queens Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 4, and I am your co-host, La Estrella, and I'm really, really excited because we're here today to unpack a movie that has taken our comunidad by storm, and one that I am personally obsessed with, Encanto. And, of course, I'm here with my amazing co-host, La Sirena. Bueno. So before we get started, I do want to caveat that there will be spoilers. So if any of you out there still hasn't watched Encanto, first, what are you doing with your vida? Okay, get on it. Watch the movie. Um, seriously, we suggest that you watch it before you tune in. Um, it is a magical masterpiece and you won't regret it. Then come back and listen into this episode and let us know what you think. So I'm going to just start off with saying that I absolutely love the movie. I laughed, I cried, I wept, mm -hmm. like all the feelings. So many things came up, um, some positive, some not so great, but it was a really, it's kind of an eye opener, I think, for me and kind of brought up a lot of things that I've already kind of been thinking through in my personal healing journey. Um, and I know that it touched so many in so many different ways and at this point, I have two little kids under four years old. It's basically been on repeat <laughs> for the last two weeks. And every time that yes. I watch it, something new comes up, right? So let's get into it. You're like an expert on this one now. <laughs> I know your little I, boys have been watching it. <laughs> I am. And I love that they love it um, yeah. because, you know, I can watch it over and over. I've been listening to the soundtrack in my car and dancing to all of the songs. And we don't talk about Bruno. I'm just like, I'm obsessed <laughs> with that song. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's get into it, though. I, yes. I really want to start with the character that, of course, holds the family together, mm -hmm. the matriarch of La Familia Madrigal, Abuela Alma. Um, so, La Sirena, can you give us your take from a clinical perspective on Abuela's internalized trauma and, you know, the trauma responses that she she passed down to her family? Yeah, I love this movie. I watched it a few times and each time there's a part that just makes me want to cry and maybe happy tears, healing tears, uh, relating tears. Just, yeah. wow, this movie really got my heart. Um, so I definitely understand the abuela's role in this movie. She def definitely holds everything together. Um, she loves her family. You can just see the dedication uh, and she just really wants the best for everyone. But she has her own history that doesn't really come out until really the end of the movie and talks about just like what her experience was 
um, moving over to their new home, how she had a big loss. Again, there are going to be spoilers. So spoiler alert is coming up. But basically, um, the first thing I thought about when I saw the scene where she explains to the little girl about moving away from the home and their journey across the river and how she that's how she lost her husband Mm-hmm. Um, it just reminds me of all of the different groups of folks who have had these similar experiences that we can kind of relate to. So people from South America, all of the conflict that kind of leads them to immigrate up north or, you know, out out of their country, um, survivors yeah. of the Holocaust, um, people that survived descendants of the Japanese internment camps and also the Afghan community. There's a lot of people in the world where you can relate, they can relate to this experience of having to move out of their home because of conflict. Um, it could be political turmoil. A lot of times it was actually the role of the U.S. that created turmoil in their countries, mm-hmm. violence. And so there they have to uproot. Yeah. And so because of this unrest in their home country, they have to leave for safety. And in leaving, they're also having to kind of pick up and take their identity with them. But it's almost like, you know, pack what you can and go. You don't get to take everything. You don't get to take your country with you. You have to go somewhere and start new. Uh, So sometimes you see typical trauma responses can be increased control because of the fear of loss pushing away feelings because you have to stay in survival mode, uh, preoccupation with success um, and furthering the family. You can also see rigid roles and rules, both R-O-L-E-S and R-U-L-E-S. So family roles that are very rigid because you need to have predictability. And so you can see all of these trauma responses in the abuelita, how she does have a need for control um, again, to keep the family together and also just the intense fear that she could lose this again because she lost it once. And so now and, and that was traumatic for her. And she still throughout the movie prays to her um, to her husband, right, her, who had passed uh, just to have to keep guidance. So I know that this trauma really stayed with her. And I don't think there was ever a time Abuela really addressed it, but she addressed it in her own way, which is rigid roles in the family preoccupation with success mm-hmm. you know this preoccupation with control but at the very same time you know i i think lastrea you saw this too she loves her family it really comes from a place of love and good intention yes absolutely and i think it always does you know mm-hmm. but but it doesn't necessarily come out in in a very loving or affectionate way you know like when um, with Abuela's character, I really felt like I saw my grandmother on my dad's side, my mama Concha, you know, she, she was always a very strong woman. It was just like strength and resilience and perseverance and rigid roles. And this is what you do. And but she that's how she showed us love in her way. Right. Like with food and, you know, this is how you do things and, and hoping to guide the family. Right. In, yeah. in a in a better direction. I think that's, that's where that comes from. Right. Right. And then everybody falls in line. So you kind of get to the intro of the movie and everybody has their roles and they're living it. Right. Um, and they don't know anything else. So they, in really, in a sense, they kind of, they embrace their role for what it is at the moment. Yeah. And it isn't until, um, 
the little girl meeting of it. What we've come to find later, it feels like a curse to her, but a gift of hers is um, being able to kind of see these little cracks that because this is a trauma response, there are still unaddressed needs, right? And and she yes. can just kind of see these things, which is amazing. But yeah, I think going back to the Awala's um, role, I think that it was really powerful. And it really did show just like the experiences of our communities, you know, as they're trying to manage around the trauma of having to leave and the uprooting, right? Just being uprooted from their homes. Yeah, and I also, another thing is like unprocessed grief, grief and loss, right? Because whatever the circumstances, you know, if you're uprooting your family, like there is loss there. There is grief to be had. And, you know, a lot of times like Latinx women, we internalize it. And I, you know, I saw it with my grandma's generation. I saw it with my mom's generation, just internalizing that, Um and then manifesting in in ways that start to kind of affect the family in, in negative ways, unfortunately, but unconsciously, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what's going on is that it's unconscious. And consciously, people are starting to show like maybe where their not weaknesses are, but just like where the needs are of the family. So what is yes. the first character she gets into? The first one that she kind of... Uh, it's cr- it cracks me up, but Louisa, when she starts to see the uh, eye twitch, yes, <laughs> like that cracked me up. Like, oh my gosh! And Louisa tried her darn best to like act like play it off, all right? Like, put on a mask. Mm-hmm. This is like what what most of us do. We put on that mask and we get through things, and we don't we don't communicate or let out what is really happening internally for us, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things I think that gets carried on generationally is like internalizing um, negative or what people construe as negative emotions because all of our emotions are valid, right? But I think in our cultura, it's like, no, you know, like if it's, I think with like the the example of the tia Pepa and, you know, being able to control um, the weather with her emotions and Mm -hmm. it was like, Abuela was constantly yelling at her to get rid of the cloud, you know, rather than allowing her to process whatever it was that she was feeling. So I think Luisa gives us that, you know, one of the first um, ways to be able to examples of that um, other than the Tia Pepa because she controlled the weather. We learned that in the beginning. You know, I really love that. um, uh, The the one with the, yeah, the cloud Tia Pepa because that's so many people can relate, right? That, like when when you some people feel they're feeling so intensely but when you're in this family system that doesn't allow for vulnerability it's like how you I mean I wonder how that experience can be for some folks like I'm not supposed to be feeling this way I'm failing somehow Um, Mm -hmm. look at me I'm so sensitive right I'm a burden on people because we're just like nope don't don't do that right We, we don't have room for vulnerability because even if she was vulnerable. Like, I don't know that Abuela had the framework to even address it because again, she's operating from this place of 
we have to preserve this family. That's that's survival, it. right? We are in survival yeah. mode. But what Abuela, Abuela didn't realize yet, at least in the beginning of the movie, is that you don't have to be in survival mode now. You landed. Right. You're, you gave your family safety and stability. And that's why you're seeing them thrive and go on and be different versions of themselves because you gave them that safety. But, yes. you know, I think when you're still in survival mode, all you're seeing is, oh, you're deviating from the plan. We have a plan here, <laughs> you know, without really? realizing like they're doing that because you did your job so well that you gave them space and, and peace to go and be themselves. But they're they're really not allowed to do that. Right. They're not. Uh, and through the movie, what I love is that she kind of breaks each of them down. <laughs> right. Like, yes, she she finds like exactly where their Achilles heel is in a good way, um, in a strength based way, but really just finds like, right, this is BS. You can't always be this way, right? Or you can't always be perfect, um, like with her sister. Like, I know there's something else in there. And she pushes people past these comfortable places. And like, she's pushing everybody out in their, out of their comfort zone um, and into these healing places that we really needed to land. But I wanted to go back to. Louisa and just how um, the demands of the eldest daughters to carry out like family burdens. Yes, I think that has resonated with so many. I mean, I've been seeing so many mm -hmm. TikTok videos of people just expressing, you know, the burden of being, you know, either the eldest uh, girl or um, woman in the family um, or just the one that that carries kind of more of that family burden. Right. Mm -hmm. Just people are really connecting with that, especially um, immigrant or, or, or ch children of immigrants or people that are immigrants themselves just coming to this country and being raised here, for example, um, and, and having to like translate for your parents and do all of these mm -hmm. different things that it's like you're like you're like 10 years old. I remember I'm the youngest in my family, but I still had to, to translate sometimes for my parents. And I was like nine or 10, like doing my best, you know, and it just kind of felt like this is so much. Like I remember being at a doctor's office and I'm like, I don't know how to say these technical, like, you know, medical terms. Mm. Like, I don't know how to translate this. Like, and then I felt guilty because I didn't know how to communicate, you know, to my parents or to my mom, like, this is what the doctor's trying to say. So it's definitely a lot to take on. And I, I would say that I know that my sister probably, my sister's the oldest in our family. And I, I know that she has felt that in many ways, like just the burden of the family is on your shoulders, you know? Mm -hmm. And I really love that Luisa introduced, you know, um, the first song about, you know, if there could be something more, like this is the stress and the pressure that I'm feeling. I love surface pressure. I love that song so much. Mm -hmm. I really, it really resonated um, with it a lot. And at the end, she's kind of like, but is there room, you know, to, to have joy and relaxation, but for them, it doesn't feel like that's something that's possible, you know, because of Abuela's expectations of them. Oh yeah. You can't relax in this family system, which many of us can really relate to. Yeah. You can't do that. Well, not if you're in that role. Yeah. Right. Like you can't be mm -hmm. a webona. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. there's always something to do around the house. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like it's kind of interesting to think about it in that perspective, too. Like that, like our, our, our Latinx cultura is very much like 
you should always be doing something that's productive, right? Like yes. just sitting down and resting is kind of frowned upon. Yeah. You know, that's so interesting because I, I think historically, I'm just going to say it, resting was for white people. And yeah. our role was to clean the house so they can rest. Our role was to work in the fields, get them, you know, their their food. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I mean, we've always had these roles historically where they are somehow superior and our role is just to support a lifestyle for them uh, so that they could rest. So it never was about us resting. And at this point, we have internalized that as a people. As a hente. Absolutely. Like rest is very much, has been very much like white privilege, right? Absolutely. (laughs) And it was, it was intentional violence against us as people that we were there to pick up all the slack so they could rest. You know, that, that was violence against our community. And it still is to this day. Um, nanny jobs, right? Think about all the things that we're portrayed in or we actually, you know, have taken those roles. Historically, we, we feel, feel very different in various roles now as a people, but historically with racism and colonialism and all of that, like we were always pushed to have menial jobs that supported the rest and relaxation of white people. Or maybe we worked at, you know, vacation places right we were working so they can vacation Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I think that definitely still resonates with a lot of people this idea that we still have a really hard time resting because historically we were never empowered to rest and then we internalize that right now we think that that's not really for us Um, and we judge people for resting so that is something that we've got to work on and this is why we have this Nopal Queens podcast is to really talk about these things and to encourage and challenge our gente to rest, to take back your narrative. And um, like Luisa was working on in the movie, make room for joy. And again, this is full of spoil alerts. So please watch the movie. If you haven't, don't listen. <laughs> but uh, or you can, you know, and you'll just know a little bit more when you watch the movie. But at the end, I really thought it was so powerful. If it's okay that I jumped to this part, but where the little donkey kicks her into a hammock and gives her a, a drink. Yes. I yes, love that. I that love shifted that. for me. I was like, yes, girl, you deserve that. Yeah, and when they were all like helping to build their home back up at the end, and um, you know, her and her sisters, Mirabel and Isabel, they were all helping to like lift things up, and everybody was pitching in. And it, for me, it like it showed like, man, this is really challenging, challenging us um, as a community to really be able to say like, hey, we can rest. It's okay. We can we can ask for help. We don't have to take on everything on our own. The burden doesn't have to be just on one person. And then you do, you can make time for rest and, and, and to actually take time to enjoy the things that we work so hard for. You know, I remember mm-hmm. when I was pregnant the first time and I was on maternity leave and I was talking to my dad and, you know, my parents came to this country and they worked in the fields, you know, the, the entire time that they were, they were laborers. Um, farm workers and my dad was like oh you know like you're not working right now what are you going to do for money and I'm like oh no I'm getting paid dad like this is paid leave and he was like 
oh my gosh, like I would have never in my wildest dreams would have thought that you could take time off work and still get paid for it. Like he just, wow. that just never something that they did. They never took time off. You know, like I remember telling you, like my mom used to pride herself in, in saying that she never missed work because she was sick. She'd work through yeah. feeling like shit, you know, being sick and not feeling great because of what we're just talking about right now. And, you know, I remember thinking like, man, like, I can't believe that my dad has never been able to, I mean, he's retired now, but like he was never able to like enjoy time off and be like, I'm getting paid for it and I'm not stressed and I don't feel like I have to work, work, work mm -hmm. because I have to bring food to the table, you know? And it's just, I know we see that a lot still now. Um, I know there's people that are still fighting for farm worker rights and, and, um, giving them the the pay and time mm -hmm. off that they deserve and all of that. I think it's really important to keep that conversation going because there hasn't enough hasn't changed. And even in the, you know, 25, mm -hmm. 30 years that I've been in this country, you know, it's yeah. there's still so much work to be done in that perspective. Yeah. And that's what we talk about today is generational trauma. That's how it starts. Right. We think about the experience of our parents, our grandparents and the way they had to survive informs us today how we act, even though it's no longer useful in our setting, in our generation mm -hmm. to do that. It's still passed down from generation to generation that we're not allowed to rest because, as you were saying, your parents didn't even fathom that you could and get paid for it. So that's mm -hmm. the reality. And it gets passed down. So even though it doesn't make sense anymore, like you do get paid for rest, like are we taking enough time off? And so that's but like, are we, yeah, but are, are we, we actually right? taking that time off? So I remember a time when I was on a plane and I met this woman next to me who was having the best time of her life, by the way, she's having drinks. And like, there were a few other rows of people she was with. They were like at a chiropractor conference or something. <laughs> and I'm on the, I'm on the plane and I'm getting back from like, uh, my fam, I was visiting family. Cause that's the way I use my vacation time. If I say I'm taking vacation from work, it's because I'm going to go fly to see my abuelos or family in SoCal. I see family for my free time. And so I'm telling the lady, she's like, do you travel often? I'm like, oh, yeah, all the time. You know, I'm from Texas and I've got family in SoCal. And when I was younger, my parents would send me to stay with family. So I'm like, I've been flying around and seeing family for years. And, you know, in Texas and SoCal mostly. And she said, she just looked at me and she goes, huh, I never thought about traveling stateside. And I was just like, <laughs> whoa, we are in totally different worlds. Totally. I'm assuming she was white. Oh, girl, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I was just, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, wow, I have so much to unpack right now for myself. Like that just left me stunned because I realized I, one wow she's right though like she not that she's right what am I trying to say like she was really thinking I was going to tell her about vacation vacation and I realized right. at that moment for me vacation meant to see my family because it god forbid if they hear that I have free time and I'm somewhere else not visiting they'll be like why did you not come visit there is so much guilt around visiting you can't visit enough I, you know I've spent this could be a whole other podcast. Oh God. Yeah, we're gonna get into another story, but basically, I just realized, like, yeah, re like I never take vacation, an actual vacation. And that year, even though I still love to see my family, but I think 
that was the year that I intentionally started to, and now I do, I once in a while, my vacations involve an actual vacation. Because I was like, there's no way you're going to live your life out there, white lady. And I'm, and I'm over here not <laughs> vacationing. No way. Yeah, no. So, some of that time too, some fun, some R&R, you know. Yeah, yeah but, that, but yeah, it's, it's just we, we haven't had historically the privilege to yeah. think of it like that. Because I know us too, as a kid growing up, whenever we like – I don't know that my parents really would take time off, maybe some, but it was like weekend trips to SoCal. But it was mm -hmm. always to visit family. Anytime we left our home to go out of town or go to, it was always to visit family too. So yeah. I totally, totally get that. Um, so let's see, I wanted to go, I wanted to also kind of touch on this idea of what this family went through, you know, trauma. Like it's, you have to understand what trauma is and how it works then to kind of understand like why families do certain the things they do because it's really delicate like as we have critiques on our own culture we also do it with love right because that's like I, I think we do have a lot of things we have to work on as a culture um, and at the same time it's because we love our culture but I wanted to remind us too that the trauma that this family went through or abuela abuela um, it wasn't the actual event itself. And you'll see this with family members that are, are going through trauma. It wasn't the event itself. Trauma is the experience of the event. So certain people may have, well, so people will have different reactions to an event. And for some people, if it was really difficult for them, that's the experience. The experience of it, how they experienced it is what causes the trauma. So I want to talk about that a little bit too, that it wasn't the actual event. It's just how Awala experienced it. And from that, um, her experience of it, she passes down to people. So she passes down her fears. She passes down this experience to the point where everybody is like this little flame that lights up, that the Encanto, like they're all afraid that, you know, they could lose it um, because they lost their home. And so that kind of, makes this family feel very motivated to keep their roles. There's a reason everybody's so invested in keeping the status quo um, because that experience was passed down. And so people are kind of afraid and they don't really know what they're afraid of, but they're afraid, right? Like Luisa yes. is so afraid when she starts to feel a little bit weak. Yeah, so I may not even have the language for it, right? Yes. To your point, the, the framework, the language. So how do you even process something when you don't know what you don't know, you yes. know, and that's how cycles continue. Right. Yeah, exactly. So there's, you know, there's a lot there for the family. Like you can see this family really holding on to these beliefs um, that were passed down to them, but do they really know what they're from? And eventually it comes out that they in fact can be different versions of themselves, sell them still be okay. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Willa really does give them the permission at the end because she realizes, whoa, this is my experience. I've been passing down to everyone because of how yeah. I experience this. I hold on so strongly. Um, and then, um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, Mirabel, just a second, because I think she's the one who's challenging the abuela's experiences. I think she's the one who's seen like this family can be better and different. Um, yeah. And she, mm -hmm. and maybe it was because in the movie, she didn't get a gift, which you mentioned earlier. I, she did have a gift. Um, but 
that's how they portrayed her, right? She didn't yeah. have this gift, so they kind of like pushed her to the side a little bit. And in a way, that that is what gave her the ability to kind of take a step back from the family and look at it from another perspective because they were all very caught up in their roles and fulfilling their world, their roles with their gifts and keeping the community, you know, the, the Colombian community going in their little town as well. You know, Mm -hmm. that was all part of it. And she, she was able to, to kind of take a step back because in that sense, she didn't have that pressure from her abuela to, Yes. You know, contribute whatever, whatever it was that everyone else is contributing. She didn't have that expectation. So I think it gave her a different perspective than what her other family members had. True. She Yes. Yeah, it's very true. She didn't have that. And, you know, did you notice she also still felt very connected to the family and very connected to a purpose? Yes. She just really couldn't name it with the parameters her family set around her. Mm-hmm. Like it's a gift or no gift. And so she's connected yes. to this purpose, but she doesn't really know how to express it or find it because it's like not, she doesn't have the door. Right. Yeah. She's and, like, how do I find a vision? You know, I remember when yeah. she said that and I thought, Oh my God, that's funny. That's true. Like, how do you find a vision that somebody else had, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing is what, so like, okay. So the, I was talking about trauma and experience that can only go so far. It starts to get diluted with each new generation because that only yes. worked for the people who actually had to leave their home and uproot. But as you get yes. further down the line in generations, they don't, they're not in survival mode. In fact, they're chilling on Instagram, right? And TikTok and hanging yeah. out and making friends and like making TikToks and yeah, have it an becomes Etsy more... account. They can just do like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're doing different things now. We're not in survival mode like that you know, the new generation. So you start to see how Abuelita's trauma just doesn't really fit in, in Mirabel's framework. Mirabel is ready to, right. She challenges this and I love it because okay, we never want to say it, but we all know our abuelos do carry a lot of the trauma and then we're kind of expected to keep it going. Yes. You know what I mean? The trauma response. Yeah. Um, and we all know it. And we all say, uh, we can kind of do things differently now, though. Right. And we, we but we don't want to challenge abuelos because we don't do that. We don't challenge elders. No. Yes. So like you respect your elders. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, you don't, you just follow instructions and direction. And but it's true. It's like the younger generations start to be like, no, like I'm going to challenge the status quo. Like I'm not just going to keep doing what has been happening because it's not working. There's there's internal turmoil in the family and within, you know, within you as well. Like I, I experienced my parents' trauma responses and I internalized them. And that's what I'm trying to heal from because of things that they did when I was a kid that have now, now I have these like, traits that I'm trying to not have. (laughs) I'm trying to heal because, you know, like being short tempered and things like that, because my dad had a very bad, uh, very bad temper. My brother has a very bad temper. Like we're all because that's how my dad was, you know, and he was like that because his parents were like that. And, you know, kind of carrying certain, you know, traits like that, um, traumatic, I would say traumatic traits. I don't even know if that's a thing, but you kind of carry that too, you know, but then 
like I'm the youngest in my family and education, mm -hmm. I think also has a lot to do with it, right? Because when you, you don't know what you don't know, but when you mm -hmm. know better, you want to do better, you know? And so I've been the one to kind of be like, okay, this ends with me. Like, I don't want to mm -hmm. keep passing this on to my kids. So I got to work on myself, but I also, you know, for a really long time, I, I was, I had a lot of resentment toward my parents, but as I got older, you know, I've obviously I've, I've, um, forgiven them for things that, that they did that unconsciously, you know, they were never trying to hurt us on purpose. And I understand that now, and I love them with their flaws and I understand that they, that they the, did the best that they can, that they could. Kind of like abuela, you know, like abuela. Yeah. And the rest of the family, you're just doing the best that you can with the information that you have at that time, yeah. you know? And then when you know better, you can start to try to do better and really try to change things for, for the future generations and for the rest of your lineage. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So speaking of somebody who's trying to do the best they can, it's still maybe misunderstood is Bruno. Bruno. <laughs> we, we don't talk, talk about Bruno. Bruno. <laughs> uh, um, we apologize to our listeners if we're hurting your ears a little bit with their singing, but we can't get enough of the song. <laughs> but yes, probably mm -hmm. one of the most misunderstood characters in the movie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel for Bruno. <laughs> And we all have a Bruno, I think, in our family. But yeah. Bru Bruno was a scapegoat. That's absolutely like the role he took in the family. They were able to put all their problems on him and then hide him away. And then if we're not mm -hmm. talking about him, we're not talking about the fact that he saw this vision in our family. Because he saw that the family's going to break before they got rebuilt again. And they just mm -hmm. couldn't. They're like, nope, nope, nope. Like, you're about to break the status quo. We're not doing that. Um, we're keeping the cycle going, right? This generational yes. trauma being passed down. We're going to keep passing this down. This is a family heirloom. And right? it's like, no, it doesn't have to be actually. That's just trauma. Yes. And it's going to eventually go away because your family's growing and developing, right? It's like, like I said, mm -hmm. I think trauma is not really meant to stay because it's an it's a response to an experience so it's not really grounded in anything so through the years you can achieve healing and you can like you can make distance between you and the trauma and that's what's going to happen to this family is they're starting to create distance now between that between them and that trauma and what bruno sees is that the family breaks away from that trauma and then rebuilds. He just didn't want to see the whole thing because he got scared, right, with the first half of it? Yeah. Um, well, I think he got scared because they made him feel like all you ever do is bring negative things, you know, these yeah. negative prophecies that come true. Like, you you don't care about this family. You want to hurt this family. You know, Abuela in the end is like, Bruno doesn't love this family, you know? And Mirabel backs him up because she did see that he had his little setup. Oh my God. It like broke my heart and oh, where he was living in the walls of the house. Yes. Right. And he had his little table right next to the kitchen where they, or the dining area where they yeah. sat with his name on it, with a little drawn on plate. Like mm -hmm. he loved his family. He wanted to be a part of his family, but he was just misunderstood. And he also didn't have the opportunity to really understand his own visions. Right. Right. So it made him fearful. 
Now, this was Disney, y'all. So it's like really cute. Like he sees visions and he has this little green tablet that lights up. So it's it's Disney, right? They definitely sugarcoated. But in real life, what this looks like is a, like when you have family members that have had so much trauma in the family that they start to take like um, substance, they start to develop substance use issues, right? So you have somebody that struggles with alcoholism, drugs, things like that. That's actually a symptom of the family dysfunction. They are not the problem. They're a symptom of the problem. And that's why people get misunderstood is that that's the way they are coping. But it's so inconvenient for the family that they become the scapegoat. Like, ugh, like, who are you? Like, they just want to push those people away, but they don't want to realize that's a symptom of something going on in our family. And that's all Bruno was seeing is just symptoms of things. Like, he he just happened to be a reflection of yes. stuff that was going on in the family. Um, and again, it's the Disney version of it is he has these cute little visions and then things go wrong and all this stuff. But, you know, like um, and they have some, they make it kind of funny in the video. Somebody in the town said that he saw what was the one of the visions that they like couldn't let him go from. It was cute. Something in the town he saw. I forget what it was. I can't remember. But the one that I thought was funny was the one of the men that would like take the the all of the decorations and stuff for the party for the ceremony where he said something like he said, I would get a, a belly and then, you know, his belly yes. pops up, pops yeah, out. Like and that. then the other man was like, Oh yeah. He said, I would lose my hair and look at me now. Like his head, you know, he's bald. Yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> those know? are so, natural things that are going to happen. He's yeah. just calling him out. <laughs> yeah. He just is an, it's an inconvenient truth, right? That's kind of what he represents. But in, in real life, it's not that Disney. It, it can be, your tío or primo who is suffering from severe mental health or substance use issues and the family kind of blames them for that dysfunction, but maybe they are responding to family dysfunction that isn't addressed yet. You know, so that definitely Absolutely. happens. Mm -hmm. um, so, so instead I, of healing, they're trying to numb themselves. Oh, yeah. They self-medicate. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Or, you know, vi DV, like you can pass down violence. Like if that's what you... Um, practiced in your, Absolutely. you know, or you saw your parents do that. So there's lots of different ways that can play out. Um, I love what you said earlier, like it stops with me, right? And so I think when, when people are, are strong enough and they have good support networks, they can start to like work on that and stop that. But not everybody has it. So you're going to see certain family members just engage in these dysfunctional behaviors and every it's so easy to blame them versus mm -hmm. actually seeing maybe what the family contributed to that. Um, so there's that. Yeah. I'm going to leave that right there. <laughs> yeah. And I think a big part of that, the healing process is being able to see your family members or, or anybody with grace, right? And compassion, mm -hmm. understanding that they're probably just um, projecting on you yeah. based on their trauma responses and the things that they've gone through that they either are not aware of or, you know, aren't, aren't working on healing themselves. And it's usually lack of awareness, Right. But being able to 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 view people and, and with grace and compassion and understand that, like, we all have our healing journeys and we all have yeah. things to heal from. But like you said, we don't all have the privilege of really taking the time to become self-aware and understand where triggers are and how to heal, because healing is a process. It's really hard, even when you become aware of all of your triggers and stuff like mm -hmm. it's still 
you know, I, I think I've said this before where like it almost to me, sometimes it even feels like physically painful to go against my nature, what I feel is my nature, which is how I grew up managing things, which is not managing them well at all, not having any type of good coping mechanisms, you know, so to stop and pause to really have a different type of response. It takes not just intention, but I think a lot of strength because it's it's very hard work and, yeah. you know, it's not for the faint of heart, for sure. Right. I wanted to end today with kind of talking about um, some of our favorite parts, too, and the positive things. Yes. And I want to give a shout out to the dads. Yes. Yes, queen. Yes. I absolutely loved the portrayal of the dads in the movie. I thought... This is exactly what our comunidad needs, like changing the narrative on machismo. Like mm -hmm. dads can be supportive. They can be loving. They can be caring. They can be married to women that are stronger, more powerful, more talented, and still support them and love them in all of their aspects. Like, you know, going back to Pepa and how she never felt like she was in control of her emotions, but her husband was always wanting her to just like let herself allow herself give herself the permission to have her emotions right like yes when Bruno comes in at the end and he's like I wasn't trying to ruin your wedding like I was wanting you to just have all your emotions and he's like yeah bro that's what I've been trying to tell her like yeah. yes like I loved seeing that support it was amazing oh they were great and they just played such a great role in the movie so I really loved that um and then I also just loved all the bright colors, the dancing, the food, the gathering. And one of my favorite things is the Afro-Latinx representation because that felt accurate. Yes. And like, I know that yeah. that a lot of people have been talking about that. A lot of people that are talking about um, Encanto and social media and stuff like they were like, yes, this is. I'm seeing myself like this is where we, we talk about representation matters, right? Mm -hmm. Like that little boy, I think he got featured. I, I, I featured him on our page, but I think he got featured on Good Morning America where, you know, mm -hmm. he's standing next to the TV and and little Antonio, the, yeah. the youngest of the family that got his his gift at the end or in the beginning of the movie where it looked you look just like him, you know, and it's important for especially children to be able to see themselves on television because they are worthy, just yeah. like the rest of us. Like that representation is so important to make people feel included and as mm -hmm. uh, collectively inclusive, you know? Yes, absolutely. And then we're also just, you know, honoring the different parts of our culture. We do have a lot of Afro Latinx folks um, in our culture that we have left out and made silent in our media and movies mm -hmm. in the past. So the fact that that was center here, it was awesome. I love that. It did something to my heart, made it grow a little bit, yeah. a little warmer. Um, and then of course, just, I'm so proud of the family overall, their wonderful hearts, you know, um, and they're just like, their love for each other right and that collectivism and the how the town comes over and helps like that's definitely in our culture yeah, to yes. be like family oriented and helping each other so there are definitely like really great aspects to that celebrated um the the like the shining parts of our culture which i really loved yeah the end mm -hmm. was definitely my favorite part just when the family came together and then you know, they hand Maribel the, the doorknob and she opens it and they get their magic back. And I was just like weeping like a baby. You know, I was like, oh, this is yes. such a beautiful 
family love story. Like, yeah, this like I wish that it was this easy and this beautiful when, you know, it happens in real life. And I think it can be, but it's it just it's a lot harder and it takes a lot more work. But yeah, <laughs> it just gave me hope, you know, like it this did. is just so beautiful and it can happen. And the colors, I mean, I'm obsessed with the soundtrack. I've been playing it in my car, even when the kids aren't in <laughs> the car with me. <laughs> We're there now, I'm huh? Jam- I'm jamming <laughs> out. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I want to start dancing. Everything about it. It was just, I love the the Latinx um, cast. Mm-hmm. I love that they casted all of the characters with people that looked like the characters. You know, yeah. a lot of times, oftentimes we see that like, especially when it comes to, like, um, animated films, that it's white actors, but they're playing, you know, they're playing yeah. the, the voice of a person of color. So I'm really glad that they actually were intentional about their casting. I thought that was, that was awesome and, and, and a good example to follow, um, mm-hmm. for Hollywood to follow. Yeah, absolutely. So that was so awesome. Um, and it was just a great movie. And it really did just kind of bring out like the importance of healing, but also the messy, messy work of it. Um, of just like, that's kind of how it feels cracks, cracks in the foundation. Yeah. But here's what like where I kind of end on it, which is like, what I saw was they were just as invested in healing and patching the cracks up as they were finding the cracks, you know, so like yeah. they're there, but it's not a bad thing. We're going to patch these up and make something even better out of it. And they did. They ended up making a new house um, yeah. with a better foundation. And so I think that's our task. That's what we're all here to do this generation. Uh, we're all here just kind of patching up those cracks and making a better foundation for us, our families moving forward. A lot of us don't need to inherit trauma responses anymore. So we can go ahead and let go of that increased control Right. We can release those rigid rules and roles. Uh, We can release the need to push away feelings. We can embrace them. Uh, So I think a lot of us are now just trying to reverse those things and not take on the trauma response and pass that along anymore. We're changing for the better. Absolutely. Yes. And it's, you know, it's an ongoing journey. Yeah. But to your point, like we, we are the, we're, we're the Mirabeles, right? We're seeing yes. the cracks very clearly. And now we have, you know, the tools and the framework to actually change it. Yes. So that, right. so that this, these, these toxic cycles end with us. Yes. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Hente, for listening in today as we talk about generational trauma and healing and the powerful, beautiful movie Encanto. Thanks so much for listening and tune in for our next episode. Hasta luego. 